Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tell Me More podcast. We hope this conversation brought a new perspective to international business and encourages you to more thoughtfully engage with the world around you. If you'd like to find out more about us, leave feedback and get in contact, visit us on Instagram at Tell Me More Podcast. You can also find more episodes on Spotify and all major streaming platforms. But in the meantime, be good, do good, and we'll talk soon. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. My name is Maggie and I'm joined today by my co-host KJ. Hi KJ. Hey everyone. Hey. And today we are going to be interviewing Alexis Wright. Hi Alexis. Hi. How are you doing? Pretty good, how are you? I'm good. Um, thank you for coming back on the podcast, first of all. Um, for people who don't know, this is our second time recording Alexis as we've learned more on how to record, equipment, <laughs> all the good stuff in between. Um, so I appreciate you coming back on. Um, but let me read your bio real quick and then we'll get started. So you're an undergraduate, um, you're, you graduated from the College of Charleston and you had a major in political science and international studies. And while you were there, you did your concentration in Latin American and Caribbean studies where you studied abroad in Guadeloupe and Cuba. And now Alexis is in the Masters of International Business program here at the University of Darla Moore. And she is pursuing, wait. University of South Carolina. <laughs> Darla Moore School of Business. At the University of Darla Moore. There you go. I'm sorry. Okay. Wait, in, in due time, Darla. Pause. In due time. Your time will come. I'll, I'll redo your bio, okay? So, Alexis, you graduated from the College of Charleston where you got your degree in political science and international studies, and your concentration was in Latin American and Caribbean studies, which saw you study abroad in Guadeloupe and Cuba. And now you're with us at the um, University of South Carolina studying Masters of International Business, Global Strategy, and Leadership Track and you're concentrating on business data analytics and global strategy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> that's you. Confer- this is the right Alexis right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today we're gonna focus on sustainability and fashion, which when we were last talking with you um, on our first trial run, we kind of went all over the place, but since then you've said that you really wanna focus this conversation on sustainability and fashion um, so can you tell us a little bit about how you got interested in that topic and how you feel it applies to international business? Yeah, so I first got interested within sustainable fashion um, and sustainable e-commerce within the fashion industry um, when I was around 12 to 13 years old when the Rana Plaza factory collapsed um, in Bangladesh. Um, and so there were a lot of women and children who were killed within this supply chain network and within this factory that was producing clothing for H&M and Joe Fresh brands, like a lot of brands that we know in the United States, but yet a lot of people weren't caring. And so for example, CNN would be on the ground presenting the story for maybe a day or two, but then the limelight and the news media would leave, but yet people would go and back and support these brands who had tumultuous or awful reputations with human rights and sustainability. So that's really why I got interested within this industry because not only was this appalling to see on TV, but I truly love fashion. I grew up within a family that um, 
didn't come from the, the wealthiest portion um, or wealthiest background. So my dad, for example, he created clothing for his parents and so my grandparents. And so seeing him do that while I was growing up really, really um, was engaging for me to see his creativity, but also to see how sustainable were the fabrics and the materials and how long lasting they were. So that is, or that are a few reasons um, why I'm interested within sustainable fashion. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so cool. So was he the only one in your family that was kind of doing the clothing or did he learn it from someone else in your family or anything like that? Um, no, pretty much he was self-taught at a, oh, wow. at a young age, around 15, 16, when his parents couldn't afford to go buy clothes at the local mall or strip mall or whatever. Um, so he learned how to do that on his own and he sort of passed that passion down to me by allowing me to watch him how to make clothes allowing us to watch things like Project Runway growing up or even seeing him make my um, prom dress and graduation dress. So like fashion has always been sort of um, a bonding experience within our family. And still to this day, he like tries to style me for job interviews and that sort of thing. And it's really the sweetest thing. But my main point is that those sweet memories around fashion and clothes should not come at the expense of someone's life dying for the shirt that's on my back mm-hmm. so that's why i'm very interested with the man industry that's awesome um first of all i love project runway that was <laughs> like also my childhood um but second of all he made your prom he made your prom dress yeah we went to um uh, i can't remember the exact fabric store that we went to but i picked out the materials i told him what i wanted and he made it that's amazing that's so cool um, I don't think many people can say that, that they've even made a, their own prom dress. Yeah, that is super cool. It's a cool, really cool point of origin story, kind of, because I think when people think of large industries like the clothing industry or, or the textile industry, things like that, it can be kind of overwhelming, but it's cool because I guess like with your perspective growing up, it was just like, oh, we can totally do this and we can do it really well and we can do it right here. Uh, with excellence and like we don't need to hurt anyone it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a beautiful plus that we get to add to our life yeah and Alexis before we were um, started recording you know the three of us were talking about the job search um, so one of the questions I had was how how are you incorporating like this passion this interest into your job search are you looking for jobs that are kind of like exclusively within that field like or um, are you hoping that sustainability and maybe more corporate social responsibility policies are something that you grow into later down the road? Yeah, so one thing that I sort of live by is to not just have a sort of narrow focus. So even though sustainable fashion is my true dream career, um, I'm definitely open to more broader sustainable industries. Um, so for example, I've partnered with Vogue Business, Fashion Roundtable, um, and many other organizations to really see what type of positions are out there within the fashion industry in terms of sustainability. Um, so for example, brands like Patagonia or any type of outdoor brands are, have been the ones who have been more forward focused on getting a sustainable foot in the door versus a lot of the luxury brands that are sort of wishing that they focused on this topic 10 or 15 years ago, right when Patagonia was really focusing on it um, at that time, because you'll see a lot of consumers, for example, 
um, are really starting to focus on sustainable fashion. Mm -hmm. So for example, at an earlier meeting that I had with um, a Google tech consultant that is a liaison to the luxury fashion industry, she stated that they're seeing twice as many um, Google searches within sustainable fashion than they did last year, even in the midst of a pandemic. So I definitely do see that there will be more sustainability um, options um, and corporate social responsibility options within the near future, but I'm definitely keeping that as a laser focus for my career search right now, especially with businesses looking at circularity, um, especially with circularity in fashion, which is defined as like closing the loop of the fashion supply chain. Mm -hmm. So for example, you'll see businesses who are kind of struggling with trying to figure out how to get their consumers to bring back their old clothes from that specific brand in order to create new ones and to feel comfortable with taking or purchasing recycled garments. So for example, having a person who's in that position or having someone who's working within a marketing and branding position to really relay the message of how sustainability works without overwhelming your consumer with uh, a lot of information is a big, big concern that a lot of industries are having. So I'm definitely keeping my job search focused on sustainable fashion, but also open to other sustainability realms as well. Wow, that's awesome. Well, it sounds like a great time to be kind of entering the industry as it's on this huge uptick. What do you think's like driving that demand kind of over the last 10 years? Yeah, so I actually, to answer your question, I have a few um, facts that I'd like to state, which is really starting to gain a lot of transparency for consumers. Um, so for example, fashion is the second biggest polluter in the world after big oil. Um, the clothing industry turns out $80 billion garments worth of garments a year and it employs every sixth person on the planet. So think about that workforce. That's crazy. Um, fashion contributes $2.4 trillion to global manufacturing every year. Um, and if you, it could take over 5,000 gallons of water to make one t-shirt and a pair of jeans through go, growing cotton and all the way through the dyeing process. And one last big one that I'd like to say is that landfill clothing waste from Americans alone equaled 11.15 million tons in 2017. And compare that to 1960, this figure was 1.7 million tons. So you can see that we are definitely going on this unsustainable route within the yeah. fashion industry, especially since it's the second biggest polluter after big oil. So when everyday buyers like you and me see these large issues and there's being there's a lot more transparency within this industry, you start to vote with your dollar. Yeah. And thing that I like to um, sort of compare it to quickly is think about 10 years ago and GMOs and organic food. 10 to 15 years ago, people weren't necessarily thinking about GMOs and they were buying whatever they wanted to buy in the grocery store, but now they're buying with a purpose um, and focusing on foods that are GMO specific or GMO free. So sort of think about that as like the next wave of the GMO industry within the fashion industry, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I like the comparison with GMOs too, because a lot of the push um, within the past few years with with food and like that has been about transparency and knowing like what are we putting into our bodies, um, like what are the ingredients, where do they come from. There's also a lot of ethical issues surrounding that, like where is this food at the core like really produced um, and are the workers like taken care of, things like that. Um, so that's a great comparison because you really 
can directly compare that to the fashion industry. Like, not what we're putting in our bodies, but, like, what we're putting on our bodies um, and how sustainable that is in the long run. I mean, maybe that's something that would... The transparency level really needs to be amped up. I mean, think about how transparent now we are about food versus fashion. Like, you don't read that much on your clothing labels, really. Exactly. And one last thing that I would like to note, if anyone's interested in looking, um, all of the statistics that I just um, stated are with... The, are from Conscious Capitalism. So they're uh, a great group that focuses on research within the fast fashion industry and really brings in a lot of um, speakers from people like Victoria's Secret, employees who work for Victoria's Secret, Burberry, you name it. So Mm -hmm. um, definitely go and check out for more information. That's great. Yeah, we'll leave that link in the um, bio below on the the description of the episode. Um, But another thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, accessibility within sustainable fashion and fast fashion because a lot of the big debate um, is mainly surrounded by blame gets placed inadvertently or purposefully on a lot of marginalized groups who cannot afford to you know pay these high dollar prices if they are they are high dollar and like not secondhand clothing Um, they can't afford it and so they wind up like just buying new from a place that's really cheap like um, I mean I could think of Walmart, Target, H&M, places like that and I guess in a a way of course they're converting or they're contributing to insustainable fast fashion Uh, but is it like ethically okay to put the blame on them you know at the end of the day? Just to put the blame on people who like won't have another option, you know what I mean, due to financial circumstances and like typically marginalized groups who are taking the blame for contributing to unsustainable fashion or fast fashion because they can't afford these higher luxury products. No, I definitely don't think that it's okay to put the blame on them, especially as a consumer. Yeah, definitely not. I guess it was really not, like, the question to ask. <laughs> I mean, obviously not, but it was more of a rhetorical, you know. No, but I feel like the consumer should definitely know um, their options. So, mm-hmm. for example, you should really try to look into organizations, smaller organizations within larger companies like Burberry and Tommy Hilfiger, or even smaller brands, local brands as well, where a lot of businesses are trying to implement this idea of, okay, you're you're purchasing a t-shirt and then you have the ability to take that t-shirt back and swap it in for a new one. Or you're able to go to a Goodwill and upscale some clothing, or you're able to even go to a brand new business who you've never heard of before and buy an upscale piece of recycled clothing for a regular price that you would pay um, at a Target or a Walmart. Mm. And there's definitely nothing wrong with purchasing um, things at a lower cost because everyone has different socioeconomic statuses and that sort of thing. So there's there should never be any victim or shamefulness or blaming within this um, process. But I think that it's, it's on the consumer to do the research and consumers are definitely doing the research um, about sustainability and how to sort of upscale the clothing that they already have or find new options. Yeah, and like thrift stores, I mean, at least in maybe the small circles I run in, like they, they're kind of cool. Like I enjoy going <laughs> yeah. to thrift stores with friends. Like We have a lot here in Columbia too that are actually mm-hmm. really cool, like Rivente and um, Sid Nancy. Those are really good. Yeah, so I guess we can help to, like, popularize. 
<laughs> KJ and I just both paused at the same second. Sorry, Alexa. Like everyone, like we can all kind of help popularize things like thrifting, um, which like, I mean, it's kind of doesn't seem like a big thing, but when you kind of, I mean, it's the intentionality of it, right? When you're thinking about this large mechanism that's actively, I mean, hurting some people's lives every day, mm-hmm. uh, being able to do something like, hey, let's let's go to a thrift store and get some gear can really... Get some gear. Can, can really make a difference. Get <laughs> some gear up. <laughs> One more thing that I would um, also add to that is like you can't put pressure on the consumer, but you can put pressure on the specific brand itself. So for example, recently I was speaking to um, a former executive designer at Victoria's Secret, and she stated that the only reason that she left the company is because they didn't invest within extended life fabrics or extended fabric like EFL. Um, so when you see brands who are not investing within sustainable fabrics, fabrics that are last um, more throughout their lifetime of production and that sort of thing is really when you can sort of vote with your dollar. Um, sadly, right now, if you buy a piece of clothing with an extended fabric life, yes, it might be a little bit higher than you would expect, but once it becomes more common within the industry, mm-hmm. um, those prices will definitely come down in terms of competitiveness um, or the effects of competitiveness. So definitely sort of put the pressure on the brand, but definitely not on the consumer because that's not necessarily fair if you don't have the economic means to buy a $50 t-shirt made out of plastic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it just hints to the overall um, idea that I think sweeping in with our generation and it, uh, probably a couple generations in front of us that uh, multinational firms nowadays, like they need to be leading and making decisions like with a conscience. And it's not like you said, referring to the website um, with the capitalism, like it's not just straight profit now. It just can't be because I think we're, we're looking more altruistically at it and more in depth at it. Um, and how these brands are like leading not only within the US if they're US brands but like they're present in every single every single nation more or less Um, yeah and it's interesting to see like you were talking about transparency earlier like I I guess one of the big things is kind of with the progression of technology I mean everyone didn't walk around with a camera in their pocket 20 years ago that they could just go kind of record something and then blow it up all across mm-hmm. the world like yeah. so I mean literally any of, any of us could go to one of these places or near it conduct some interviews and then just kind of put it for literally the, pretty much the greater part of the whole world to access yeah which is pretty cool hold on give us one second okay so one thing I, I wanted to touch on with our conversation today, too, is in your notes, you talked about working for the United Nations and interning there. Um, first of all, I, I want to know more about that. Um, but second of all, I want to know why you have decided moving on in your career path now to kind of move away from that career path down the United Nations or perhaps with other NGOs um, or things like that. Like moving out of like government policy. Yeah, moving out of gov- government policy, international politics, things, things in that field. Yeah, so I initially, like you said, I wanted to work for the United Nations and I interned with the United Nations Association in DC 
Um, and I mainly did a lot of communications and PR work. So um, drafting social media posts um, for their advocacy projects or um, rushing down to Capitol Hill to listen to um, some of our congressional leaders about uh, foreign policy and that sort of thing and writing up reports and communication materials to relay this information um, onto the general public about how U.S. politics is affecting not only the national stage but also initiatives at the U.N. Um, and it was a great experience. It was a great time, but I think that I moved on to get my master's in international business because I recognize that true sustainable change, sadly, especially within the U.S., doesn't solely come from legislation and policy and politics, um, but it comes more when there's power behind the dollar. Mm. And so that's the reason why I'm so big on sustainability and decided to get my master's of international business instead of a master's in public administration is because I want to one day help brands to become more sustainable, like we stated before, instead of necessarily lobbying um, within a dead bureaucracy um, about sustainable change when it can take ages to happen um, through policy versus when it could happen maybe within five to 10 years with a business and support from um, ethical consumers. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of my experience with the UN and how I saw sustainable change happening, especially within the industries that we mentioned before and sort of why I decided to move out of the political realm. Um, but I am still sort of involved within politics, especially within the UK. A lot of my mentors are um, within the board, not the board, I'm sorry, pause. <laughs> You're fine. Let me think. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of your mentors, you can just start from there. A lot of my mentors are within the UK Parliament, and so there's um, an exact chamber or group that is focused on conscious labor, um, legislation, and ethics, and so communicating with them about policy and seeing projections of how sustainability, especially within the fashion industry, will look within the UK within the next 10 years versus the US. So I still am very involved in politics. I'm just not pursuing that as a career right now. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, I guess, just to summarize, basically because you see more progress happening a lot faster through the business sector than the government sector. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. It is interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I could see how it's easy, a lot easier to, to pivot at that level. And see change, yeah. So I guess one of the last questions we had just as like a takeaway point for the audience is, and something I think Maggie and I are both probably thinking some of is just like, okay, so there's this huge problem, like what can I do um, not like as an individual shopper and like as I'm talking to friends or things like that besides encouraging them to email you or listen to this podcast or something <laughs> yeah so i guess you're asking for a call to action so i guess a big call to action that i would have is to do your research and to listen and to also promote so for example there are free resources like i mentioned fashion roundtable and some of the content on vogue business vogue business just had a huge huge virtual summit in partnership with Google about sustainability within the fashion industry. Not only can you learn about what you're consuming, but you can also network um, within, with individuals within that industry. So for example, I got to network with the CEOs of Gucci and Saks Fifth Avenue through this organization, and it was for 
free for me. So definitely take use of your resources and do your research and also really, really, after doing that research, promote by voting with your dollar and giving what you can. Um, like we said, you don't have to spend $50 for um, a t-shirt that was made out of recycled material, but you can go to a Goodwill and pay $5 for one instead of buying something completely brand new off the rack. And also encouraging and speaking out um, with your peers in order for them to do so. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Alexis, uh, for being on the podcast today and um, for all your insight and facts. I mean, I think both of us have really learned a lot today. And I think our audience will too. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tell Me More podcast. We hope this conversation brought a new perspective to international business and encourages you to more thoughtfully engage with the world around you. If you'd like to find out more about us, leave feedback, and get in contact, visit us on Instagram at Tell Me More Podcast. You can also find more episodes on Spotify and all major streaming platforms. But in the meantime, be good, do good, and we'll talk soon.